Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You're still here. And this is our last stand for New York. And there's only, there's only one option. A congressman running for governor is attacked on stage at a campaign event. Now a man is in custody for the attack. I'm Anjanette Levy, and welcome to this latest edition of Law and Crime Sidebar Podcast. This happened in Thursday in Rochester, New York. Representative Lee Zeldin, a member of Congress, is running for governor of New York, and a man attacked him on stage, uh, coming at him with a sharp object. It's incredibly concerning. That man is now in custody. And joining us to talk about this is Jack Rice. He's a criminal defense attorney, but he also uh, was a member of the CIA. He's a spook. He was a spy. I love being able to say that. Jack Rice, welcome to Sidebar. We really appreciate you coming on. It's great to be with you. You know, with your background, Jack, uh, working in the CIA and having some training and protecting dignitaries, what was your reaction when you heard about this attack? It's scary, isn't it? I mean, it's scary for a lot of reasons, but one of the problems that you have when you're dealing with democracy is accessibility. You have politicians who are trying to reach into the public. They want that connection. And so it's important. And at the same time, you have people who are part of a detail, or you might have part of a detail who's protecting you. And the idea is you're trying to keep those people away. So frequently, the biggest fight that you have on the front end before anything happens is with the the very person, the package, if you will, the person who wants to, to make that contact, and you are who are trying to keep that contact as far away. That is one of the struggles that you face. Of course, when this happens, it turns it into a completely and utterly different game. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, I it reminds me of, uh, we were talking about this before we started, it reminds me of that baseball game, the congressional baseball game a few years back, uh, where that man uh, who was a Bernie Sanders supporter, and it has nothing to do with Bernie Sanders. I mean, it's just our politics have become toxic, and we have so many mentally ill people running around in this country. But he opened fire, uh, wounding Steve Scalise. And thank goodness, uh, Congressman Brad Wenstrup, who I know, was there to help save him, and the Capitol Police were there. And then we were also talking about Gabby Giffords. Remember, she was shot in the head by somebody. Uh, so these these are very scary things. Your thoughts on Uh, these types of things. We've had both Republican and Democratic members of Congress targeted. Well, you're absolutely right. And I really do appreciate that this isn't a question of left versus right, because it actually isn't. This is actually a question of something bigger than that. And I think what we've been seeing over the last few years is a deterioration in the climate 
generally speaking, and we see these attacks and a willingness, a justification, if you will, for those who are willing to use violence, force in politics to get what it is that they think they want, however deranged that is. We can uh, apply this to the Congressman Scalise, we can apply it to Giffords, we can apply it to January 6th, we can apply it over and over again. But regardless, this is something that I think speaks to this broader question of our willingness or some people's willingness to use violence because they feel that they are justified. This highlights just how dangerous that can actually be for the individual who's actually in office or running for office, but also for the system where we have to believe that it actually works and that we all buy into it. Many of these people are not buying into it anymore. And that is one of the scariest aspects of this entire story. And I feel like we could go on and on because I think there are a lot of people who are not learning how to solve problems or cope and they're dealing with it with violence. That's a whole other topic. Uh, this man who is charged, his name is David Jacobonis. Uh, he is 43 years old and he was charged with second degree attempted assault, arraigned, released on his own recognizance, which I find stunning. Um, Zeldin, Representative Congressman Zeldin later tweeted his thanks to everybody who had reached out to him. And he wrote, someone tried to stab me on stage during this evening's rally, but fortunately I was able to grab his wrist and stop him for a few moments until others tackled him. Uh, that guy was, uh, Jacobonis was subdued and restrained with zip ties and police arrived, handcuffed him, took him into custody. Uh, terrifying, just terrifying that, I mean, if Congressman Zeldin hadn't had the presence of mind to defend himself and grab this guy or maybe had turned a different way, this could have ended much differently. Well, this is actually quite extraordinary because if you take a look at a lot of the police shootings that exist out there, they're dealing with a lot of people who are mentally ill. And one of the things that police officers, and they've been trained in this, are afraid of, and by the way, justifiably so, is somebody who comes at them with a knife because knives are something that can be so incredibly deadly and they're extraordinarily difficult to defend against when they get close. That's the problem in a case like this. So you can deal with certain things because you keep distance. But when you're talking about a knife, if somebody was in, is within five feet of you, they can be on top of you literally in a, not a second, but a piece of a split second, literally. The fact that what we have right here is we actually have a congressman who is smart enough, lucky enough to actually, actually um, grab this person's wrist. That is extraordinary. It, it most certainly is. Um, it really is. And, you know, I've covered officer-involved shootings in the past, Jack, and I, you know, they say that they're trained. Um, and I've, horribly so, some of these have been fatal. And I know I recall one specifically where a man was armed with a knife, it was dark, he was far away. But these police say that even from like 21 feet away, a knife can be wielded and hurt somebody. Um, quickly, so quickly. That's the biggest one there. And I think when you contemplate what it is that a knife is capable of, this is honestly one of the most dangerous weapons in some ways, even more than guns, even more than other kinds of weapons because of the speed with which they can injure. And they're very, very, very hard to defend against. Even when I was working in the intelligence community, this was many years ago, but in, in the Central Intelligence Agency, we actually studied this kind of assault. 
and the idea if if somebody is coming at you what is it that you do you're literally looking are they left-handed are they right-handed are you turning away from that dominant hand you want to see how their body is turning so you can get into the right position to get as far away from that as possible and yet you take a look at the videotape and there is videotape of this congressman who literally has this man on top of him and you re watch him reach in and grab him by the angie's list you know and trust is now angie and we're so much more than just a list we still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly we can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish so remember angie's list is now angie and we're here to get your job done right Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. By the wrist. And I got to be honest, I was very impressed. Um, from, from an intelligence officer perspective, you watch something like that happen, this was a very, very lucky man that he was able to make the decision that he did. And the rest of those people were right there around him to help support it. Very much so. And let's uh, hope that he maybe has some... Um other protection around him, maybe New York State Police, uh, Capitol Police, whomever, maybe are beefing up the security. And this is another opportunity for those people in those li that line of work to look at situations such as this one and say, you know, maybe we need uh, some better safeguards in place. Uh, Jack Rice, thanks so much for coming on to talk about this. It's a really important topic and we appreciate it. Always great to be with you. Cain Velasquez is a huge MMA fighter. He is a big deal, and right now he is in jail and has been since February 28th of this year on an attempted murder charge. Uh, he is accused of chasing down someone that he believed uh, molested his child and then uh, trying to kill that person. But his attorney, Mark Garrigus, uh, the famed criminal defense attorney, has actually filed uh, some paperwork. It's a petition for a writ of habeas corpus with the Court of Appeals in California seeking Cain Velasquez's release. So joining us to talk about this is someone who knows a, a lot about mixed martial arts. He is Stephen Williams, and he even has a YouTube channel dedicated to it. So Stephen, welcome to Sidebar. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Tell us about Cain Velasquez, first of all, for our listeners and viewers who may not know, uh, to give us some background on who he is. Well, I mean, Cain is an incredible fighter. He's known as being one of the great heavyweight champions in UFC history, an accomplished amateur wrestler throughout college and high school. Um, and by all accounts, just a guy who's really respected in the community as being an, you know, a top-tier martial artist. You know, nothing but good things to say about him. All of his training partners, uh, fans, uh, even his employer, Dana White, uh, has great things to say about the guy. So when he was arrested in February, late February, on these charges, what was the reaction of the MMA community? I think the, the initial sort of impulse is to go, this is completely out of character. This isn't something you would have expected from Kane. He seemed like such a reserved person, soft-spoken, 
not the most boisterous personality in the MMA community. And there's plenty of those in MMA. He wasn't one of them. So everyone was taken a little bit aback by it initially. But I think uh, once sort of the details of the case started to come out, I think the, uh, the MMA community started to go, you know, most of us would have did the same thing. That was sort of the sentiment that you got from most fans. Uh, the whole free cane movement happened. Where everyone was wearing the free cane Velasquez t-shirts. So everyone's pretty much on his side uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark Garrigus has said he's offering basically a lot of alternatives uh, for him being incarcerated. You know, I'm looking at the paperwork right now and he is saying, look, you could let him out of jail and you could set a $1 million bail amount. Uh, he could relocate out of state. He could be under 24 uh, seven supervision, electronic monitoring, things of that nature in order to be released. Uh, so um, I'm assuming there's a lot of support for him in the MMA community as far as being released pending trial on these charges. Tremendously. I mean, do we really think that Cain Velasquez is a true threat uh, he's he's going to get out of prison. He's going to hunt Harry Goulet Jr. down. I don't I don't think that that's the case. I don't think most MMA f- fans think that that's the case. Kane probably realized. I mean, I, I'm obviously speculating a little bit, but I'm sure he realizes his mistakes. It wasn't the you know it was it was it was reckless on on a, on a human level. It was reckless. Um, is he going to go out and risk losing contact with his family forever and and do something that's irrational if he if he's let off? I highly doubt it. I mean, obviously, this is speculation. We don't know what's really going through his head. I haven't talked to Kane, but it seems as if uh, he may have learned from his mistakes. Yeah, I think we can all agree um, that this isn't probably the best way to handle things. Uh, And just a a little bit more background for the listeners. He's accused of chasing down this vehicle, this truck that was uh, carrying Harry Gillard and and firing at him. um, And Gillard is actually accused of molesting, as I mentioned, Cain Velasquez's son. Uh, So um, what would you like people to know um, just about him and his career uh, as this moves forward? He, He three times has been denied bail by the judge. This is why Mark Garrigus is going to the Court of Appeals. But what would you like people to know uh, about Cain Velasquez? I mean, on all accounts, he's a family man. He's a, he's a guy who's married, has a family, has no prior criminal record. Uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna bring up claims that CTE played a role in the case, which I understand because he did take head trauma. Anyone who does this sport takes a certain degree of head trauma. And, you know, temporary insanity... <laughs> I mean, I think this is another thing that might be pulled up. But the truth of the matter is this is a man that is loved by the MMA community. You can search yourself. You're not going to find anyone. And in the age of the Internet, you can always find someone that has something bad to say about someone. But with Cain Velasquez, barring this one incident, you don't have you know anyone that's going to come forward uh, disgracing his name. So I think, uh, you know, people should look into his career, how he lived his life. And I think most people will see that he's a, an honest, good man on all accounts. 
Well, we will see how this turns out, um, and we will be watching to see what happens at the Court of Appeals and whether or not Mark Garrigus's plea um, has been heard. And uh, we know Mark, uh, so we've reached out to him and uh, his his staff to see his people to see if they'd be willing to talk with us. And uh, we just haven't been able to arrange that just yet. Uh, so we'll wait and see if we can get him on to talk about this too. But Stephen Williams, uh, thanks again so much for coming on to talk with us, and we want you to check out his YouTube. YouTube channel. Stephen, give us the name of the YouTube channel really quickly. Yes, it's it's Stephen Strangles People. <laughs> oh, oh, goodness yeah. me. Okay. Well, um, to each his own, right? Um, you're an MMA guy. I'm not going to hold it against you, but uh, I, I, I just, I don't know how you guys do it. I, I can't watch it. Uh, but um, Stephen Strangles People, that is his YouTube channel. And he's Stephen Williams. He's a mixed martial artist. And thank you again, Stephen, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm going to speak to you about the unspeakable, about this defendant's goal-directed, planned, systematic murder, mass murder of 14 children, an athletic director, a teacher, and a coach. These brutal murders occurred at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, and it happened on February the 14th, 2018. That was State Attorney Michael Satz beginning his opening statement in the sentencing trial of Parkland school shooter Nicholas Cruz. He's already pleaded guilty to murdering 17 students and staff members at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School on Valentine's Day in 2018. Satz laid out in chilling detail how Nicholas Cruz planned this attack. Three days before these brutal murder, this massacre, the defendant in this case made a cell phone video on his cell phone. And this is what the defendant said. Hello, my name is Nick. I'm going to be the next school shooter of 2018. My goal is at least 20 people with an AR-15 and some tracer rounds. It's going to be a big event. And when you see me on the news, you'll know who I am. You're all going to die. Ah, yeah, I can't wait. Ah, yeah, I can't wait. Cold, calculated, manipulative, and deadly. Those 17 students and staff members who were killed had families who loved them. 17 other people were wounded, and the jury heard from most of those survivors. I realized, you know, something's wrong, but I, I still didn't want to believe that it was, you know, a shooting or anything. So um, I was trying to stay calm. And then the people next to me were like, oh, are you okay? You know, are, are you, you know, do, do you feel like you're, gonna die or you know something like that and then um, I was just sitting there and then I looked straight ahead of me and I saw um, Alex Shackner passed away uh, over his desk. So when I stood up that's when I like really saw that I was hurt in my leg and because I saw like also that I had an, uh, like a hole in my in my shirt so I wasn't sure what it was but um, I walked outside they guided me um, 
through the like through the classroom and then um as I walked outside there were we walked over two bodies. Um I couldn't really see their faces, but um we walked outside the 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 hallway and um yeah, so they took me to an ambulance after that and I didn't have my phone in my class in the classroom. It was in the back charging, so I couldn't call my parents while I was happening. Um so yeah, as soon as I got into the ambulance, one of the nurses gave me her phone to call my parents. Um, and that's when I called them and told them that I was going to the, the hospital. To the hospital. Joining us to talk about week one of the Nicholas Cruz sentencing trial is Matt Timpanic. He is a defense attorney in Florida and has been following the trial closely. Matt, uh, thanks again for coming on to Sidebar. What do you make of what the defense has done so far? Really not questioning any witnesses. We know the facts really are undisputed here. He's already pleaded guilty. This is strictly about sentencing. So what do you think of that move by the defense? I think it is a smart move. There's nothing you could ask any of these witnesses that doesn't backfire. What are you going to ask the teacher whose class got ambushed? But did you see the person who shot? No, he's already admitted he is, in fact, the shooter. Nothing you're going to ask them is going to be able to elicit any information that's going to help for your mitigating circumstances. That's where we're at in this part of the case. This isn't whether Nicholas Cruz did it or not. It's about aggravating factors versus mitigating circumstances. None of these witnesses are going to be able to provide Nicholas Cruz's defense team any mitigating circumstances. The best thing to do, allow them to ask the questions and move on. There's no, no good, there's no upside in asking them questions. They made a motion for a mistrial earlier in the week when one of the victim's uh, family members, and I was sitting behind this woman when it happened, one of the videos played on the sc big screen by mistake, and she said, shut it off, shut it off, because the videos were only supposed to play for the jury and the audio for the audience. Uh, the mistrial motion was denied. Uh, was that the right move by Judge Scherer? Yes, I think it was. It was immaterial that the audience would actually see it. Uh, for this type of situation, you're going to definitely see defense make any and all objections throughout this phase of the proceedings. That's because this is a death penalty case. If Nicholas Cruz has the death penalty imposed, his case is automatically appealed to the Florida Supreme Court, and they have to make a ruling within two years or not. Anything and everything will be used to potentially get him to have his life spared, because right now, as we're seeing it, the uh, evidence being put on by the prosecution is aggravating factor after aggravating factor. It is heartbreaking stuff. And to be able to actually, for him to, it'd be right now a surprise for him to actually not have the death penalty imposed on him. You know, I've seen cases, not in Florida, but here in Ohio, um, I've seen cases where uh, uh, somebody who was a serial killer, and it was it was not disputed that he was a serial killer, had his sentencing phase uh, vacated, you know, the sent death sentence vacated, and the Court of Appeal or the Supreme Court, I guess, of the state ordered a new sentencing trial because of a remark the prosecutor made uh, that they took issue with during that first sentencing phase. Um, so do you see uh, this possibly getting overturned for any reason? It seems like the Michael Satz 
is the if it, if the death penalty is imposed. Michael Satz is very matter of fact. He presents the case, the facts, but there are some times when something can be overturned on just one small issue. And that's why I'm wondering about um, the woman standing up. I mean, I couldn't tell that the jury even saw her kind of raise her hands and say that. That's definitely something that's going to be appealed, undoubtedly. Will it? I don't. I My honest belief is that the Supreme Court, Florida Supreme Court, will find it uh, immaterial that it's that it didn't do enough to actually affect the outcome. They would look to the aggravating factors of the case. So far, I have seen three, that it was done in a cold, calculated, premeditated fashion. It was atrocious, heinous, and cruel, and that he knowingly created a great risk of death. I honestly think that it will be appealed, but I think the aggravating factors, the the appellate court is going to be of the opinion that yes, we saw that and that may have affected, but there's still so much evidence, so many aggravating factors, and I don't think it, they're not going to think it affected it too much, in my opinion. Yeah, I, that's what I was wondering. Also, uh, something that I found very interesting that Nicholas Cruz uh, had the swastikas on the gun and everything and opened fire in a classroom where there was a history of the Holocaust. Uh, class going on. He hadn't been a student there in a while, but you have to think that possibly there is a connection there. And I think, and and my honest belief is that I think there is, but at the same time, the prosecution is not really introducing that. They are introducing, okay, that he walked it, he smashed the windows of this class during fourth period and he ambushed the classrooms. And they're allowing the jury to infer what they can. It's like, if you believe that he intentionally targeted that classroom teaching that subject, there's no greater aggravating factor, especially with the ones I mentioned, that it's a atrocious, heinous, and cruel. And it's done based on people who are studying a subject as probably one of the greatest tragedies in world history. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, well, I was there. It was um, awful to sit in that courtroom, um, but I you know, even more terrible for the family members uh, of the victims in this case to have to sit through that. Matt Timpanic, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Law and Crime Sidebar Podcast. This podcast is produced by Michael Dininger and Sam Goldberg. Our YouTube manager is Bobby Zoki. Alyssa Fisher is our booking producer and Kiara Bronson handles our social media. You can find Sidebar on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, you can watch it on YouTube. I'm Anjanette Levy, and thanks for joining us for Sidebar. We will see you next time.